Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, June 1st, 2023, the Feast of St. Justin Martyr was born in Flavia Napoleus around 90 to 100. He was raised in a Greek family in Samaria, Palestine. Despite having little knowledge of Hebrew, Aramaic, or Judaism, he pursued an education in philosophy, seeking answers about God and the metaphysical. Justin studied under various philosophers but found their explanations unsatisfactory. Eventually, he encountered a wise old man, possibly a Christian, who spoke about the the reliability of the prophet's testimony compared to philosophical reasoning. This encounter deeply impacted Justin, leading him to renounce his former beliefs and dedicating himself to the service of the divine. Inspired by the ascetic lives of the early Christians and the courage of the martyrs, Justin decided to travel and spread the teachings of Christianity as the, quote, true philosophy. Justin established his own school in Rome, and during the reign of Emperor Antonius Pius, among his pupils was Tassian, who later became a notable figure in the early Christian church. However, Justin's activities caught the attention of Crescens, a cynical philosopher who denounced him to the authorities. Justin, along with six companions, including two of his former slaves, whom he had educated, faced trial under the urban prefect Junius Rustucus, during the reign of Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius. Despite the threat of torture and death, Justin and his companions boldly confessed their Christian faith, refusing to sacrifice to the Roman gods. The court sentenced them to be scourged and beheaded, and Justin Martyr's martyrdom is documented in the court record of the trial. He and his companions, glorifying God, went to their execution site, where they were beheaded, remaining faithful to their Savior until the end. Relics attributed to Justin Martyr are claimed by several churches, including St. John the Baptist and Scarfono. Justin Martyr is venerated on with a feast day on June 1st. Pope Leo XIII composed a mass in an office in his honor. He is also remembered in, with a lesser festival in the Anglican Church. Justin's late life and teachings have left a lasting impact on Christian apologetics, and his writings included the Apologies and the Dialogue with the Jew, Trifon, and continue to inspire and inform Christians to this day. St. Justin Martyr, pray for us. Happy Thursday to you. Praise be to God. Today is, in fact, the 1st of June, the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart. So congratulations. You've made it to the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart. There's nothing else to be honored this month. Nothing else. Only the Sacred Heart. Only. Everything else should be ignored, and this should be promoted. In fact, anything else should be uh, crushed underfoot. So just keep that in mind. But good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. Yes, June 1st. The Sacred Heart of of uh, Jesus. I this is one of my favorite months. Well, be, not because it's just the summer, which part of it is the reason, but because of the Sacred Heart. Now I have a little devotion to uh, to His Sacred Heart. So, uh, good morning. How is Absolutely. everything for you? Amen. Amen. Everything is wonderful. Considering that right now we are actually not in the studio today is in fact a pre-recorded show. We are actually in Midland, Texas in the moment. We are in the GRN Family Retreat, so that's going to be going on today. It was happening yesterday, and it will be continuing on tomorrow, which 
and it's going to be the last day of the retreat. We get back sometime Friday evening around 5 or 6 o'clock, I think, and we will be back uh, ready to go on a Monday morning. So make sure you tune in on Monday. We'll be back live. But tomorrow and today is all new materials, things you've never heard before. First time hearing it will be here on the Catholic Drive Time Show. So at 15 past the hour, Bethany Mandel, her, she's the co-author of the book Stolen Youth. Uh, it's an excellent book on the topic of the, uh, the corruption of our kids in the school system, but also everywhere else as well. It's an excellent interview. You're not going to want to miss that. And in the next hour, and in the next hour, Father Sebastian Walsh will be joining us to talk about the, Saint, the devotion to St. Joseph. Uh, this interview went by way too fast. We barely scratched the surface of the things we wanted to talk about, but you're going to have to tune in to find out what was going on in that conversation. That's going to be coming up in the next hour. St. Joseph with Father Sebastian Walsh. He is a uh, the, one of the Order of Prematorians or the Norbertines. And, you know, it's kind of funny. My, my friend Max, uh, Frater Garion, is in town actually at the moment. And I'm like, darn, you're in town while I'm about to leave town. So I won't be able to see him, but he's also a Norbertine and a confrere of Father Sebastian Walsh. So very interesting little situation that's going on right now in Houston. But let's begin in prayer, as is our custom. Uh, starting today, we're going to be praying a prayer to the Sacred Heart. And I'm kind of uh, debating whether or not we should like switch up. There's so many prayers dedicated to the Sacred Heart, and I had to just choose one. And I don't know. I keep. I was switching between. I was like, no, I want to do this one. No, I want to do this one. I, I want to do this one. So I may. I, we may do different prayers of the Sacred Heart throughout the month. Uh, but for today and tomorrow, this is the one that we're going to pray together. Is, is it Latin? It is in English. Oh, and so we'll be praying good. this prayer. And it's going to be a blessing. So if you have a prayer of the Sacred Heart that you particularly like, well, let us know. I'd be very curious. Uh, reach out to us. Join us on our live streams. And leave a comment, and leave a comment, and uh, I'd be very curious as to know what your favorite prayer to the Sacred Heart is. But we'll begin in prayer. We're praying for your intentions, whatever it is that you have going on in your life. And we're praying for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. And I pray that you have success in whatever it is that you are trying to accomplish today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. My loving Jesus, out of the grateful love I bear thee. And as a reparation for all my unfaithfulness, I give thee my heart and I consecrate myself wholly to thee. And with thy aid, I propose to never sin again. Heart of Jesus, burning with love for us, inflame our hearts with love of thee. Let us pray, Lord, we beseech thee, let thy Holy Spirit kindle in our hearts that fire of charity which our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, sent forth from his inmost heart upon this earth and will that it should burn with vehemence, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the same Holy Ghost, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you very much, Adrian. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Thursday, June 1st, Anno Domini 2023, and these are your headlines. The Pillar is reporting anti-Catholicism cannot go unanswered. Cordelia Leone challenges charges on Sarah vandalism case. San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione wrote to local prosecutors telling them he is disturbed but not surprised at a decision to downgrade the prosecution of five people who desecrated a statue to St. Junipero Serra in 2020. The Pillar is reporting a survey finds fervor among young French Catholics. 
The survey published by the Catholic weekly La Croix offered insights into the thinking of the more than 30,000 youngsters. Researchers interviewed said that 75% of those surveyed said they attended mass at least once a week and 24% several times a week. Impressive. Church Pop is reporting Pope Francis is to beatify Father Giuseppe Biotti, who was the young martyr killed by Nazis. In 1940, he became a priest in Sedola in the Seno Valley, where the Nazis were retaliating against the locals. And on Sunday, July 16, 1944, while he was hiding, he was shot. Father Giuseppe died at the age of 31. And finally, Creative Minority Report is reporting the New York Times review of Little Mermaid complains there's not enough kink or carnality. A movie reviewer for America's newspaper for our elites complains that a children's movie doesn't have enough kink or carnality. Creative Minority Report is not amused. Those are your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And now they reached Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and with a great multitude. Bartimaeus, the blind man, Timaeus, his son, was sitting there by the wayside begging. And hearing that this was Jesus of Nazareth, he fell to crying out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many of them rebuked him and told him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and bade them summon him. So they summoned the blind man. Take heart, they said, and rise up. He is summoning thee. Whereupon he threw away his cloak and leapt to his feet and so came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what wouldst thou have me do for thee? And the blind man said to him, Lord, give me back my sight. Jesus said to him, Away, home with thee. Thy faith has brought thee recovery. And all at once he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A number of things that are very interesting. One thing that I want to point out before we jump into Cornelius Alapide is how God has ultimate power over healing. You notice that sometimes our Lord decides to use material things that he will spit in his hands. He'll use mud and he'll rub them on the eyes and then they'll gain their sight. And then he does it gradually. And so they began gradually over time to be, regain their sight. And sometimes, like he does here, he just says, away with thee. Thy faith has brought thee recovery. And all at once, he recovered his sight. Now, this is interesting because it shows that our Lord gets to have the last say. He gets to choose how someone is healed. It's not our choice, but it is his choice. And we should be happy that our Lord decides to do whatever it is that he decides to do. For his decisions are above our decisions. His ways are above our ways. And we cannot know them. Now, here in verse 46, Cornelius Alapide says, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, this blind man then, was called by a proper name, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, as Bartholomew is the same as son of Ptolemy. The same was called also by the same name of his father, Timaeus, was the name of Pythagorean philosopher who wrote the life of Pythagoras. Moreover, Bartimaeus is interpreted by Pagnini in three ways. The first is from St. Jerome to the effect that Bartimaeus means the blind son or the son of blindness. He says that it is a Syriac name, but corrupted from Barsimea and Barsimaeus. 
Bar is sun, and Samea is blindness. The second opinion is that it means the son of honor, as if compounded by the Syriac bar, a son, and the gr of the of the Syriac, meaning honor. And the third is that it means the son of the admirer, or the admirable, or admirable purity. For this was what the blind man received from Christ, for being illuminated in body. He was far more illuminated in his soul. For bar means meal, or wheat, or purity, as well as sun. Tama is to admire. And followed him in his way. Moliere, Moliere says in the gloss, let us consider the way in which he goeth, and follow him by humility and labors. The way is that of which he saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the narrow way which leads to the heights of Jerusalem and Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, which is the Mount of Light and Consolation, yea, which leads to Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. The blind man therefore sees and follows, for he who rightly understands the life of Christ ought to follow and imitate it by his works. Now notice here that he wants to go and see and follows. The blind man sees and follows, for he who rightly understands the life of Christ ought to follow and imitate by his works. So morally, we could say, if we see, if we see the truth of the gospel, then we should continue to obey what our Lord says, that we should strive to follow him. Just as a man who sees a light in the distance when he is lost goes toward the light, we who are lost in this valley of tears, when we see that light, which is the light of Christ, we go toward that light, or we rather we should of course, at the end of the day, we have our own free will, and we could choose to remain in darkness. We can choose to remain lost. We can choose to remain in our sin. But this is not what we should do. Instead, we should be like the blind man. For you and I, may, though we may have our physical sight, we are blind. For we do not see the goodness of God, at least not as much as we should. So let us pray that we gain this sense, that we gain this sight, so that way we may see the good that our Lord does and see the good that he desires for us, and so we can strive after it, so that way we can get away from this valley of tears, so we can get away from our sin, get away from our ignorance, get away from our darkness, and head toward the light. And then when we reach the light, may cling to that light, which is Christ, so that way we may be brought to the glory of eternal life. Stay with us when we come back. Bethany Mandel. Hey, Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion and confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone talk about how important it is to be progressive? Have you ever asked them what they mean by that? G.K. Chesterton says, Progress is a useless word, for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, 
and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. We can't have progress until we've stated what our goal is, and then we can determine whether or not we're moving closer to it or farther from it. The real question is not whether we are progressive, but what is our goal? My goal is to get to heaven and to help others get there too. What's yours? Want Chesterton for more than a minute? Visit our website at chesterton.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there's a lot of things that we talk about pretty regularly here on the Catholic Drive Time show. Uh, one thing that I bring up probably some people would say too often, and I would say not often enough, is the issue of the indoctrination of our children, of people attacking kids and wanting them to be join this LGBT cult uh, all around the United States, really all over around the world, but most importantly to us, the United States. And joining us right now is Bethany Mendel. She's a contributing writer for Desert News on editor of the children's book series Heroes of Liberty. And she's also a columnist for Fox News and a homeschool mother of six. Uh, we love to hear that. Uh, she's the co-author of the book Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Thank you very much, Bethany, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I apologize in advance if you hear any of those six children in the background. No problem, no problem. You know what they, they say about church, uh, if it's not crying, it's dying. And I guess the same thing could be said about home. Uh, there you go. So uh, right. the, the uh, great thing that I found with this book is that many people kind of think that the problems with our schools and the problem with the situations are all over America are somewhere else that's not happening in yeah. my neighborhood. It's not happening to me and my kids. My kids are fine. It's everyone else that's having a problem. And I found that the one thing that this book did a great job in doing is kind of dispelling that myth. So let's start there. Uh, what, do you, what would you say to someone who's like, well, I get that's a problem, but that's not my problem? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for realizing that, that that was exactly one of the the missions that we sort of, if we had like a, a, a mission statement at the front of it, it was pretty much that it was to dispel that, that disbelief that you know, this couldn't possibly happen anywhere else. Um, so if we, we wanted this to be a very approachable book that moms could read on the beach or at the pool this summer with their kids. Um, not a, a thick, sort of very philosophical uh, look at ideology, but we really wanted to show specific examples um, and we wanted it to be sort of a zoomed out view of their child's life and all the different touch points of a child's life where they're interacting with the outside world and where this ideology can seep into the cracks. So imagine your, your family is a ship and the water is all around you and we wanna show you where the cracks are. Um, and those cracks are at the pediatrician's office, at the, at the, in front of the TV, at the library, uh, in schools, obviously. But uh, it's, you know, in my family, you just mentioned we're a homeschooling family of six. We are uh, pretty siloed in our house. And yet it seeps in. 
Uh, and that was sort of one of the most surprising things to me writing this as, you know, a person who lives and breathes this topic all the time. Um, one of the stories I told in, in one of the chapters, I went to the library with my kids and I told my daughter, who was, I think, seven years old at the time, I said, just go pick out some books, whatever. And, you know, I probably should have known better because I'm literally writing the book on this. And uh, and then I'm having conversations with moms over the course of the next two weeks after that library trip. And twice, two different moms brought up the same book. And the second time I thought to myself, gosh, that sounds familiar. And I looked in my notes and I was like, oh, that's just because that other mom mentioned it. That's why it sounds familiar. Um, but then she started describing it. And I had this like flashback to us at the library and my daughter showing me her book pile of what she wanted to pick out from the library. And I thought to myself, oh, I think that was one of the books that she booked out. And thank God I'm a total disorganized mess in my personal life. And I still had the library books in my trunk. I hadn't bothered to, because they're really heavy. It's a really big bag. <laughs> so I was going to have my husband do it and he hadn't done it yet. And so I went in my trunk at like 11 o'clock at night and I had my flashlight and I looked through the pile. I'm like, here it is. This is, this wow. is the book that my daughter picked. And so it really sort of illustrated to me like, you can be so on top of this issue and yet water will still seep in. It's impossible to have this be a weatherproofed boat. Um, but we wanted people to have the tools to have a boat not sink mm. uh, and water will still get in, but you don't want your boat to sink. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, it's you saying that just reminded me it was about Four years ago, I was buying a book for my goddaughter, and I was uh, going through to shopping for a book, and, and I knew what kind of books that she liked to read, and so I found one. And I was like, okay, this looks interesting, so I was reading through it. I read the introduction, the first chapter, flipped through the book. I was like, okay, this seems fine, and I purchased for her, and about two months later, I get a text message from her, and just like absolutely flabbergasted very upset and it was like i cannot believe oh my goodness and i was like what happened what happened and she explains to me how there's this lgbt ideology in the book that i purchased yeah. her and it was like buried into like chapter five so you wouldn't come across it until you have yeah. read a good chunk of the book and she was yeah. like i saw it kind of saw that and i was like Adrian wouldn't buy me a book about that. And so she just kept on reading it. And it wasn't until it became super explicit where she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I think this is something that many people are not realizing that their kids yeah. are being exposed to, even if you are doing even the best due diligence you can. I mean, you can't read every single book in the world. And so it becomes very burdensome. Now, I, the thing that actually made um put you in my mind was the interview you did where they brought up the question of what is woke and i thought this was actually it was a it was a gaffe but it turned out to be really really good because it actually got a ton of publicity for it and got the conversation going on what it means yeah. to be woke and so i've been thinking yeah, about that was this totally for a my while. plan it was totally <laughs> it's, it's not because i hadn't slept in four days <laughs> it was totally planned we know it uh, but now, now that you've like, kind of been to ask this question over and over and over again how yeah. would you define woke so i i would define it as cultural marxism it's the idea that there is something irrevocably broken in our society and that the foundations of our society are rotten through as well. So 
a, sort of the 1619 project that this this country's founding is based on a lie. It's based on slavery and and hatred and racism instead of you know the ideals of liberty and freedom for all. Uh, so the foundation is rotten through, and everything that's built on top of it is also rotten. And so in order to create a more just and equitable society, we need to just rip everything out. You need to go to the roots, rip everything out and rebuild. And that rebuilding process is this woke ideology. How do you rebuild our society? Through cultural Marxism, um, through this idea that uh, there is no such thing as a man, there's no such thing as a woman. Let's like completely reimagine Western civilization. And that's what they're attempting to do. And, you know, I hear a lot from, from folks who think that Carol and I are reactionary and we're just sort of uh, writing a book to to sell on Fox News, and and there's no way this is all true. And they they say, and they're not wrong, that throughout history people have always said, oh, this this is this is different, this is different, um, and it is different. We have never had a social contagion the likes of which we're seeing right now that has so much power from the top to the bottom. And that was something that we really wanted to highlight in the book as well. Uh, from the American Academy of Pediatrics all the way down to your local pediatrician, from the teachers unions all the way down to your kid's first grade teacher, um, from the top executives at Disney all the way to your librarian. Like these, these ideas are trickling down um, from very powerful top points and going all the way into your child and your family's life. Um, and so this ideology you know, is incredibly damaging. We've never had uh, a social contagion of this kind that can cause uh, irreversible damage, you know, in the phrase of Abigail Schreier's incredible book that we used a great deal in, in our research. And I talked to Abigail as well. Um, you know, in my generation, I'm in my mid thirties, we told, we, we heard girls have anorexia, bulimia, cutting. Um, and when they were suffering with these mental health crises, we never told them, yes, you are fat and you need to, you need to go on an extreme diet in order to, in order to lose weight. No, we would say, we would identify this as a mental illness and try to treat it. And now that's not happening, especially with gender dysphoria. Um, there was an incredible, it's the problem with writing a book because you, you want to keep writing forever and ever and ever, but you have to hit publish. Uh, there was an incredible piece in the free press this week um, about sort of the rot in uh, therapy programs and in psychiatry. I, I strongly recommend your listeners go look that up on the free press Substack, uh, run by Barry Weiss. Uh, but we got into that in our book as well, that, you know, for so many points, um, for so many different individuals that individuals that I spoke to for the book, they ran into the problem of, they identified a problem with their child, and then they would go to the experts. And the experts, instead of helping them try to treat their child, they affirmed their mental illness. And, um, and they felt like they, they had their backs against the walls with psychiatrists, therapists, um, teachers. Uh, they just, they felt like everyone was against them and their child's best interests. No, absolutely. I think that's so true. It's very, very concerning to see pretty much every single industry turn on the family. It's very interesting to see how that happens. And I always tell people whenever the topic of therapy comes up or, or psychiatry comes up, I always tell people, hey, you know, I hate to say this, but I don't recommend going to see a therapist. I mean, unless 
you find one that is like a explicitly Catholic therapist that we know because uh, there's a few of them in Houston that we're, we're familiar with. Yeah, and we're you're like, on okay, the same page. Absolutely. Exactly. But other than that, I would say, no, you're you're putting yourself in a grave situation of danger. And... Yeah. And, and, and what's what's especially troubling when it, from the perspective of a parent is you walk out of the room. You're putting your kid in their care and then you walk out and you don't know what they're telling them in there. And that's what's particularly frightening. A lot of adults are able to see through this ideology. And in that free press piece that I just talked about, um, the reporter did talk to adults who saw it for what it was. But when you're a kid, you don't have that critical thinking skills set necessary to question authority in the matter that you need to in order to push back against the person who you're supposed to trust more than anyone, your therapist. Absolutely. And we're about to head to a break. And when we come back, I want to pick up on the topic of the medical schools. You mentioned how not even the pediatricians, not even the doctors is necessarily safe for your kids. And I was thinking about this exact issue and how often this comes up. And I was thinking of a friend of mine who's currently in medical school, and I won't mention his name or where he goes to school lest he get uh, kicked out. But he was telling me how they had a scheduled lecture in their semester about how to deliver babies from men. And I was just flabbergasted because I'm like, women can't deliver babies, so how does that work? And so he was telling me what was happening there, and I was just absolutely slack-jawed. And he was telling me, he was like, yeah, I mean, I am the most, like, they. everybody thinks I'm this, like, crazy right-wing conspiracy crazy person. And I'm like, dude, you're, like, slightly right of center. <laughs> they just cannot imagine the situation. So when we come back, I want to discuss the situation regarding the medical schools and how we got here, where people were able to uh, infiltrate these medical schools and how uh, the doctors are today. But make sure you stick with us. We're going to be back on Catholic Drive Time right after the short break. And if you want to stay connected with us, you can go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. There you can sign up for our email list where we can interact with you and send you content that you can't get anywhere else. But joining us in the next segment, Bethany Mandel with Stolen Youth, author of Stolen Youth, coming up in just one moment. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever thought, well, why can't a prayer at a Catholic Mass cause the Holy Spirit to come upon the bread and wine and thus turn it into the actual body and blood of Jesus? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, remember, three of the most magnificent miracles were a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone or something such as the Holy Spirit came upon the face of the deep and God created the world. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she brought forth Jesus in her womb. Secondly, a boatload of scriptural support, such as 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And thirdly, my honest reflection. Your transformation after a prayer for conversion was not and is not noticeable in the human eye. So then why do you reject a prayer which transforms bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood? I know the reason. Just a whole bunch of people have told you that. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls. And we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Radio for your soul. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. We were talking with Bethany Mendel about her book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. I think this book is excellent, especially for people who are not maybe not be an academic in the field, but just want to know the facts of the situation and then hear some incredible stories as well that go along with it. I think that's my favorite part about it is that it's 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 interwoven. You get the facts and then you get a bunch of uh, anecdotes that go with it. And I think that helps uh, take the, uh, the information a little bit better. It's like a spoonful of sugar it helps the medicine go down. Uh, but thank you for joining us, uh, Mrs. Bethany. Thank you so much for having me. And I just have to say what a pleasure it is to actually talk to someone who has read the book. I've done so many interviews with people who have not read the book, and uh, they don't go as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's many, many such cases, many such cases. But the, yeah. the topic uh, we said I was going to cover up in the last segment is the situation with the medical schools. And I think this is very concerning because... Everyone has to go see a doctor. I mean, we all need to see yeah. doctors. And presumably, you would you want to trust your doctor. You want to say, okay, my doctor said X, so I'm going to do X. And I shouldn't have to be very skeptical of it. Now, it was really beneficial for me because my parents are, I guess they're just naturally skeptical of people in general. So when I was a kid, they would be like, oh, okay, mom, you can step out of the room right now while we do it. My mom was like, no, I'm going to sit here. And I will stand right here while you can take care of whatever you need to take care of. And so that's just kind of been how I was raised. But it seems as though that's not the case with the most people. So tell me what's going on, uh, Mrs. Mandel. So your mom is uh, the right. She's in the right. Everyone should do what your mom did. Every, no, don't walk out of the room. No matter what, you could say, I'll turn around if you're like, if your mom is obviously a woman and you have a teenage son and they're, you know, I'll turn around. But that's it. I, I changed those diapers. So I'm not, you're not getting more than that. Um, but I, I, I want to sort of, with this chapter, I really wanted to drive home to people that um, you can silo yourself as we've done, but you do have to go to the pediatrician. And God forbid there's something more drastic going on, especially with your mental health. Like this is an ideology that absolutely needs to be identified and uh, be avoided, especially at in, in a medical setting, whether it's mental health or physical health. And so I sort of wanted to look at uh, a hypothetical person from medical school all the way through being a practicing physician or psychiatrist. And so you talked earlier about your friend who's having a crazy time in medical school. Um, that's the norm. And in order to get into medical school, um, the, there's two sorts of parts of the the application. The first part is like, you know, your MCAT scores or whatever. And if you pass that and you go into the second round, then you're answering essay questions. Those essay questions are loaded. How are you going to uh, practice equity and anti-racism in your in your medical practice? Like these, these are steps, these are hoops that you have to jump through uh, in order to even get acceptance into medical school. And once you are in school, then you have to sort of deal with this ideology going through all of medical school and you have to keep your mouth kind of closed in order to, um, in order to make it out the other side. And once you're in, you're in and you're out and you're a practicing doctor, you're kind of at the mercy of 
uh, hospital systems. Hospital systems control the vast majority of medical care in this country. And so HR departments are very careful and doing DEI training. They're very careful about what their physicians can say in the media and to their patients. Uh, they have to be affirming. They, they have to adhere to the standards of their professional associations, whether they're the American Academy of Pediatrics or surgical associations. And all of these medical associations have passed mission statements and statements of purpose in which they adhere to woke ideology in, in some way or another. So at your job, you're then still sort of, you have that muzzle on. And I spoke to a pediatrician uh, for this chapter who said she lives in fear of a kid walking into her into her practice and saying I'm trans, because she has her hospital system, she has her bosses, she she has the American Academy of Pediatrics, she has all of these powerful entities who have control over her job security, saying this is how you treat this child, but she also has common sense and she has her conscience, and. If a, trans, if a child comes into her office who says, I feel like I was born in the wrong body, those two conflict directly. And she's not sure what she would do. And she, she lives in fear of that happening. And where she lives, she should live in fear. Um, and she should honestly probably get a job uh, in a religious hospital or something, because this is going to be the problem um, moving forward. And one of the most troubling um, stories that I told in that chapter was uh, at a medical conference. The technology to protect babies who are born severely prematurely changes very, very drastically on a year-to-year -year basis. And it's why we're able to see children born earlier and earlier gestationally survive. It's because the medical science has advanced so quickly, thank God. So there was a medical conference for, um, for physicians who treat babies who are born severely prematurely. And they had a panel of experts who could sort of share their insights into best practices about pulmonology, cardiology, um, mostly those two topics. And, uh, and there was a Twitter mob that sort of formed when the, the panel was announced because they said it's too white. There's too many white men on the panel. And so they decided to cancel the panel because the the makeup of it offended people and so that has a short-term effect where a full year of data and research is not being shared with physicians at that panel and they're working on year-old information and that means if in the course of that year your doctor if your baby is born at 27 weeks doesn't have the most up-to-date information because they didn't hear from those experts wow. and so on a short term, that's really scary. But on a long-term basis, not just for the doctors who would have been at that conference, but for any continuing education in the country, that mob and the reaction to it has a chilling effect. Mm. Now, whenever you're creating a panel of experts for continuing education in the medical field, you're thinking to yourself, we need to build this panel, not by expertise, but by ideology mm -hmm. and by identity. We have to make sure we have a black person on. We have to make sure we have a, a lesbian or a gay or a transgender person on the panel. And no longer are you saying our objective here is expertise. Now you've, you've replaced that objective with we have to be open and diverse and welcoming. And 
you can't be those two things at the same time. You cannot be choosing the best in your field, but also making sure that they're X, Y, Z and right. that, that they, those just don't. Absolutely. Those, you know, I mean, personally, I have never uh, been uh, accused of being white before. And personally, I wouldn't rather have someone who is more qualified to do the yeah. job than have somebody who looks more like me. Uh, doing my medical work as that's very yeah very and so you're you're having people get into medical school based on ideology graduate through based on ideology and then continue education based on ideology and so this is one of the most insidious and scary ways that this has seeped into our lives because you'll never know mm-hmm. you'll never know if your kid's pediatrician was was got into medical school based on his skin color or on his his gender identity you'll never know the the continuing education they missed because the the panel was was constructed in a certain way. Like, we'll just never know. Right. It's the unknown unknowns. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a number of things that was uh, came up while you were talking there is one, a friend of mine was telling me about a different friend, actually, also in medical school, was telling me how he just will not talk to me about anything controversial unless we're talking in person because he tells me, that they are monitoring his social media, they monitor all of his things, and he's scared that he's going to get kicked out at serious? any moment. He, I also, this yeah. reminds me of the situation with abortion, whenever so many uh, Catholics and other Christians and other people of faith who refuse to do abortions, they were like, okay, well, what do we do? So a lot of people went independent, and this hurts a lot of poor people who are not able to pay the uh, the the fees out of pocket and they rely on insurance and so now okay if you make a little bit of money they typically they're not super duper expensive but they are expensive and you don't you're they don't take insurance because of what we're talking about here it hurts them more than it hurts uh, many other people and i've seen this happen many times yeah. uh, i i wrote a piece for the spectator magazine a couple months ago um one of the things that I talked about in this book was how COVID was used in the medical field in order to chill debate and chill conversation. And so um, a lot of rules were passed within medical associations about uh, about disinformation. You couldn't disseminate disinformation. And who decided what was disinformation? These individuals. Right. And that once that threshold was passed and that Rubicon was crossed of like, you can just kick a doctor out of being a a physician based on their thoughts and what they say. Uh, Once that Rubicon was crossed, they then applied COVID Mm. because you weren't allowed to uh, disseminate misinformation about the vaccines. Then it was expanded to you cannot disseminate misinformation about reproductive justice or reproductive yeah, health. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to head to a break. When we come back, I want to switch over a little bit, talk about conformity. One of the first chapters in the book, it talked about how kids are so easily conformed to their peers. And that is a very concerning situation when we see our current atmosphere. So when we come back, Bethany Mandel, Stolen Youth, when we come back on Catholic Drive Time right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. 
Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. Hey, Donnie, what do we say when we make the sign of the cross? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Mama teach you that? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, we're talking with Bethany Mandel, the author, co-author of Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. And in, before we went to break, I mentioned I want to talk about conformity. It's very interesting. One of the first chapters, Carol talks about her experience with the Soviet Union and her family's experience in the Soviet Union. Very interesting. And she talks about, and I want to read this to you here. She says on page 27, Conformity is easier to achieve than it may seem. We all hope we stand up for what's right, but generally people want to be accepted by their peers and will cover up their real opinion to ensure they are. In the 1950s, a psychologist named Solomon Ash conducted the Ash Conformity Experiment. Each one had real participants and several actors who were all asked to match a line to another line of similar length. The actors would knowingly give the same wrong answer. About 5% of the participants always went with the group's answer, and around a quarter of the participants always gave the correct answer, unswayed by the answers of the actors. But the rest would sometimes go along and other times not. It's very interesting to see how people are just willing to just go with what the majority are saying. Even if they know for a fact that they are right and the other people are wrong, they would just go along to get along. So what are your thoughts about that, Mrs. Mandel? Uh, you're on mute. I had to unmute yourself. I'm sorry, I was yelling at my daughter to be quiet and I muted myself in order to do so. My three-year-old, anyone out there with a three-year-old knows the, the struggle. <laughs> um, I, uh, I found this to be one of the most eye-opening parts about COVID was uh, <laughs> that we read in our, in our home, The Emperor's New Clothes, so many times because I would explain to my children Yes, everyone knows that COVID is airborne and that putting hand sanitizer stations has no effect on COVID rates. And yet they were required to wash their hands before they could walk into like occupational therapy because of COVID. And my kids were flabbergasted. They just could not understand why they were being required to do things like wear cloth mask or wear a mask outside if it didn't make any sense. And I explained to them over and over, it is because of, uh, because of conformity, because people felt like they had to fit in and fitting in during COVID meant wearing a mask. But uh, it, it's fascinating to me how, um, how 
ingrained this idea of conformity is in human history. Uh, there are so many instances of um, of this in the past. I, I want to read you something one of my one of my dear friends sent me. Um, this is from ancient Rome. Uh, he had he said also that the Romans were like a flock of sheep. For saith he, as every weather, when he is alone, doth not obey the shepherd. But when they are all together, they follow one another for love of the foremost. Uh, this is from ancient Rome. <laughs> this idea of conforming to the group goes back to human history. And, and no one wants to be the person beating to the drum of their own, beating to the beat of their own drummer. Um, and that is that is the goal and that is the enforcement mechanism through this ideology. Everyone has to conform or else you're shunned. And Carol saw that, my co-author saw that a lot in New York City, especially with her kids' schools. Um, no one wanted to be the crazy right winger. No one wanted to be the person who said, sorry, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. There is no logic to this. Um, and when you were that person, um, you were othered by, by the collective. Um, and that, that power apparatus was in full force during COVID, but it's also how they maintain dominance. Um, you know, I, speaking of the medical chapter, um, the, the, one of the pediatricians I spoke to who also wouldn't speak to me anywhere except in person uh, because she was afraid, uh, she said that this shouting down that happens in, um, in sort of physician boards and, and where the conversations happen on social media um, has drastically altered the way that they uh, thought about and talked about COVID, but also how they think and talk about transgender issues. There is a very loud uh, bully majority and everyone else just sort of goes along with it because they just don't want to be exposed as the right winger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very interesting you say that because I had a, I was thinking about Our Lady of Fatima in 1917. She appeared in Fatima, Portugal and predicted the, the coming of World War II. And she said, Russia will spread her errors if man did not convert. And she there, she also, Sister Lucia, the seer, says that the last, uh, the devil's last battle will be against the family. And this reminded me of this whenever on uh, page 46, I'll talk about here, the home is the last line of defense. In totalitarian societies, parents have to pretend to believe the lies that kids are taught at school. Whose kids is this? In the home, you provide the answer, mine. And I think that was that's very profound, and it really speaks to the point that, yes, the devil's attack is against the family, and the family is the bulwark uh, against all these things that are happening, and that's why they want to destroy it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the current Biden administration's messaging as far as schools and families, um, President Biden has said outright, uh, there's no such thing as someone else's child. Ever. These are all of our children. And that goes back to like Hillary Clinton, like it takes a village. And um, no, it doesn't take a village. It just takes our family. We're good. They are not yours. They don't need your protection. They don't need your help. Um, but they think that their mission, especially in schools, is to help the children who are hampered by the fact that their parents are closed-minded bigots. And so it is their duty, it is their sacred duty, because they have no religion. This is their religion. It is their sacred duty to help our children not be 
crazy bigots and mm -hmm. right-wing fanatics. And they have to do that by maintaining secrecy, by telling children, don't tell your parents what we're talking about. Uh, and it is, uh, it is highly inappropriate and highly dangerous. And no longer do we talk about sort of best practices with keeping children safe against abuse because those best practices include don't instruct children to keep secrets from their parents, especially on matters of sexuality. That That's out the window now. Absolutely. And no, you know, it's interesting. Oh, there's so many things to talk about. We're running out of time. We only have about uh, five minutes left in our conversation here. And I'm going to switch topics a little bit here and skip to, to the end about what we can do. You cite in your book the uh, Rod Dreyer's A Benedict's Option. And it made me think of, because I love Clear Creek Abbey in Oklahoma, uh, John Senior, the late John Senior, wrote two books, Death of Christian Culture and Restoration of Christian Culture, two excellent books worthy of a read. And those books, the first one's like really depressing, talks about the destruction of, of society. And then the second book, though, is a very hopeful book about how we can get back to where we need to be. And what's your thoughts on how we can fix the problem that we have here? So what I thought was especially powerful about Carol and I writing together was that we've taken pretty divergent paths into how we how we take on this ideology. And Carol has three children, and um, two of whom go to public, one of them goes to private, and they were in New York City until a year ago. And she is of the mind that she needs to prepare her children in order to face this ideology, and it's an unavoidable ideology. And, and I agree with her to a certain extent. Um, but I think that it is not completely, it, it's not completely lost, and we don't have to throw ourselves into the lion's den and hope that our armor is strong enough. I think that we should just try to stay out of the lion's den as much as humanly possible. And so that's why in our family, um, unlike in Carol's, we homeschool. And my kids don't really consume popular media. They don't, they don't know who Paw Patrol is. Um, their favorite actor is Robin Williams. Um, <laughs> Their, you know, their favorite movies are Jumanji and Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire. And, and it's funny because like Mrs. Doubtfire could never be made now. It, it was like a, a cross-dressing father who, the importance of fatherhood, cross-dressing now, like it, it, was, it was too controversial in today's world. And it was so entertaining back then. And this is sort of the sad part about how woke ideology sort of destroys entertainment and wonderful ideas. But that's a, that's a diversion. So their favorite actor is Robin Williams. We, I got a question for you, uh, Mrs. Mandel. Yeah. I apologize. Uh, we're, you were referring to her a little bit about the conformity. Is there what, what methods or is there ways to get around that or break through that and, and break the, the group think that, that occurs from such mentality? So, uh, I've loved all of your contributions to this interview just with your face and just by your reactions alone. Um, but I, I mean, I think that the best way to do that is to create a situation where your children are not afraid to speak up and speak out. And the best way, in my opinion, to do that, and I think this is like sort of the homeschooler in me and the philosophy that we follow in our home, is uh, expose them to great literature where people are brave and people stand up against the mob. And so, you know, The Emperor's New Clothes is one of those stories for young people. Um, but great stories of bravery um, give kids the tools and, the, and the, the mental acuity to know that like you can stand up and it is a good thing. 
Um, I think a lot of folks now sort of, you know, if you think about Disney shows and uh, the messages that are uh, that are being sort of given through those shows, it's like, well, you you want to be the cool kid. You want you want to fit in. And that's not the objective, especially when you're a homeschooler. You don't want to fit in. You don't care about fitting in because there's nothing to fit into. There's no box. Um, so that that to me, I think, is incredibly powerful. Um, but so in in our house, we sort of we tap out of a lot of that stuff. And one of the sort of the famous uh, we're big fans of homeschooling. Rebuttals. Yeah. One of the famous sort of things that people say about homeschooling, well, aren't you worried your kids won't fit in? Like, like yes, um, that's exactly what no, I want. I'm, yeah, well, no, I'm not worried. Actually, I'm not worried. I, I prefer that. I mean, my daughter is, uh, is staying up until 10 o'clock at night reading and practicing her Shakespeare play for her co-op and reading Charles Dickens. Like, that's what my, and like, is she normal? No, I love it. That's the goal. Exactly. Exactly. I think, yeah, the people have this idea. It's like, oh, my kids aren't going to be like other kids. Like, yep, that's the plan. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's very good. Idea. And if you, if you look at academic scores, mental health, like mm -hmm. every metric of what is normal in America, what is normal for an American child is you can't read, you can't write, you can't do right. basic, basic arithmetic, and your basket case, psychologically, mm -hmm. that is the norm. Exactly. I don't want to be normal. I don't exactly. want my children to be normal. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, we're out of time. There's so much more that I would love to talk about. Good stuff. But you're going to have to get the book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. You can pick it up at Daily Wire Books. Go there and you can pick up the book there. It was an excellent conversation. Thank you very much, Bethany Mandel, for joining us. And stay with us if you can. We have more coming up on Catholic Drive Time after this short break. God bless you. God love you. And connect with us, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. God bless you. God love you. And have a great day. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. 
I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Download the Guadalupe Radio Network app at grnonline.com. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston and trusting you to the sacred heart of Jesus. Day to be here on Catholic Radio. It's always a good day to be on Catholic Radio. We're going to be talking about St. Joseph. And you might be thinking, I've heard a dozen interviews on St. Joseph over the past year or two. Uh, Haven't we heard enough about this guy? Uh, The answer is no, we have not heard enough about this guy. There is so much more to be said. And joining us right now is Father Sebastian Walsh of the Order of the... uh, Oh, my goodness. I just... uh, Norbertines. There we go. The Norbertine Fathers. I am very, I, I don't know why I forgot. It's kind of crazy because I have like three friends who are there at St. Michael's Abbey who just joined and I just flew out of my mind. But uh, Frater Garion uh, is a dear friend of mine who was there. But good morning to you, Father Sebastian. Good morning to you. I'll have to say, say my greetings to uh, Frater Garion. Who are the other two guys? You know, is it Frater Giovanni and Frater Dominic? Are those the that other guys? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah, all those Houston boys, yeah. Absolutely, yes. I don't know what it is about the Norbertines in Houston, but they're stealing all the Houstonians and uh, taking them all the way to California. But praise be to God, the Norbertines are amazing. So uh, we love to see it. Uh, but oh, thank, thank you for joining you. us, Father. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. And like I started off with, it seems as though we're just getting bombarded with information in regards to St. Joseph. So why another book on St. Joseph? Well, you know, um, in in the year of St. Joseph, when, when Pope Francis first decided to make uh, the year after the, um, the outbreak of COVID, a year of St. Joseph, I thought to myself, well, it's the year of St. Joseph. I should probably learn a little bit more about St. Joseph, see what I can do to understand, have greater devotion to St. Joseph and so forth. And like a lot of Catholic priests, I had, you know, studied the scriptures and I'd read some books on St. Joseph. But what I found um, remarkable was that nearly every book, in fact, every book I read on St. Joseph focused primarily on private revelations about St. Joseph and only kind of secondarily, or at least in you know, in some brief summary fashion, talked about the scripture passages about St. Joseph's life. Because, to be honest, there was relatively little information, it seemed, in scripture, right? You have just the, the opening chapters of Matthew's gospel, the opening chapter of Luke's gospel, and and St. Joseph himself is never recorded to have said even one word in scripture. And as I like to say, what is there to say about a man who said nothing about himself? Right? <laughs> so, So I thought to myself, well, I can't just someone as important as Saint Joseph in the history of salvation 
can't just be someone we know primarily through private revelation. There has to be something more in the scripture I'm not seeing. So that's why I started really praying and, and looking into it. And I realized that one of the best ways to understand the person of St. Joseph is to use a method that was widely used, not only in the New Testament, but also by the fathers of the church. And that is typology, where you start um, looking through the scriptures and seeing types or prefigurements of St. Joseph. And they start giving you clues like where to look to really find out more information about St. Joseph and the scriptures. So the purpose of writing this book was really to write a book about St. Joseph that was entirely based upon revelation that's found in sacred scripture, because that is God's word. All private revelation, you know, is something that's good, and, and, and as long as it's approved by the church, but you can't say about private revelation that it's the very word of God. So that's the reason I wrote the book, was to show you just how much there is about St. Joseph in sacred scripture. Now, you're, like you just mentioned, your book heavily relies on typology, but typology is something that many people have never really been exposed to, at least not mm -hmm. something that they know that they've been exposed to. Many people actually have been, but they don't never heard the term typology, have never really mm -hmm. tried to understood this idea. So break that down for me. Let's start there. What sure. is typology? Absolutely. Well, the first thing to recognize is that that language typology is scriptural. Um, the scriptures um, interpret themselves by way of types. So I'll give you two examples. St. Paul, in the fifth chapter of his epistle to the Romans, says explicitly that Adam was a type, typos in the Greek, of Christ. Insofar as Adam was kind of the, the originator of our race, that he had no human father, that he had universal influence over the whole human race. In all those ways, he was like Christ. And he became a type of Christ. Huh? And um, St. Peter also talks about types, right? He says, for example, that the flood was a type of baptism. Okay, So the scriptures themselves endorse a kind of reading of prior scripture typologically. So what do I mean by a type? That Greek word typos, type, it was originally used to signify the stamp of an image on a coin. So it would be like an emperor or something like that, huh? It would be stamped on the coin on drachma or something. And so the idea of an image of a great person is kind of the kernel of meaning to a type. So if I had to define a scriptural or biblical type, I would say this. A scriptural type is a person or thing which has a clear likeness to some greater person or thing who comes later in scripture. I'll just say that again, just so if you're driving your car, you're <laughs> a type is a person or thing in Scripture, which has a clear likeness to a later person or thing who is greater. So to give a couple examples, um, manna is a type of the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist is greater than the manna, right? As Jesus says in John chapter 6. Or again, um, Judith, who destroys the uh, the enemy of Jesus' people, Halfernus, by striking his head, is a type of Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there's the first thing, just what do we mean by a type? Absolutely. That's a, those are great examples of, of types. 
And I mean, many people have already known that because they, they hear it in the Holy Mass, they hear it in other things like that. They just never made that connection. So I think that's good. Now, there is a, a theologian and a, a philosopher, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how he would categorize himself, but uh, mm -hmm. that I uh, really, really love. His name is uh, Professor Plenio Correa do Oliveira, who is a Brazilian Catholic uh, philosopher, theologian, who talked about St. Joseph. And when he did, and immediately uh, when I was reading your book, I immediately thought of Professor Plinio because he says, he says, I don't claim to be a visionary. I don't claim to have any special knowledge about St. Joseph. But when I think about St. Joseph, I can't help but think about Our Lady as being the greatest of all the women in the world created to be the mother of God. Now, St. Mm -hmm. Joseph, now what must he have been like? Well, he must have been the greatest of all the men who ever lived to be the foster father of our Lord. And therefore, mm -hmm. he must have had all the virtues and graces of all the patriarchs of the past, having the strength mm -hmm. of Samson, the wisdom of Solomon, the love and devotion of David, and so on and so forth. And I just, that just enthralled me uh, when I heard that. And so when reading your book, I immediately was thinking of that, except you went into a book-length exhortation on this. So tell me, who mm -hmm. is St. Joseph most like? Let's start with there, and then we can go down, yeah. the, go down a list. Absolutely. Well, that professor that you mentioned has good instincts because Leo Pope Leo XIII makes the same argument. He basically says, because of the connection of St. Joseph to Our Lady as her spouse, that there's no doubt that he ascended higher than any other uh, person to the dignity of Our Lady, who, you know, Our Lady is, of course, the highest among all the saints, but then St. Joseph after her. That was something that Pope Leo XIII mentioned. Pope John Paul II. Now, uh, maybe a little bit later in our interview, I'll talk about the interesting case of St. John the Baptist, because hmm. our Lord seems to say that he was the greatest by saying that he, that no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Do you remember that passage there? So I have to talk about that one, and I do address that in my book too. But let's, let's answer your question. Who are really good types of St. Joseph in the Old Testament? Well, the clearest type of St. Joseph in the Old Testament was Joseph the Patriarch the son of Jacob. Consider these likenesses between them. They both have the same name, okay? Already, that's a pretty remarkable likeness because the name Joseph appears, I believe, it, it appears in, for 13 people in the entire scripture. So it's not a lot of people who have the name Joseph, okay? Secondly, they're both Joseph's son of Jacob. That's unique for the two of them. Already, just those two likenesses would be enough to say, hey, one seems to be a type of the other. God speaks to both only in dreams. Isn't that interesting? Both were forced to, to go into Egypt, right? Um, both were made to be like a father to the king. Huh? Both of them refused to have relations with their master's spouse. Oh, wow. That's an interesting relation there, huh? Because Joseph the patriarch, remember, was subject to Potiphar as a slave, and Potiphar's wife wanted to have relations with him, and he refused, right? So we see a number of, um, of likenesses between St. Joseph and Joseph the Patriarch. There's so many likenesses that they're practically identical twins. You know, the way, the way you look at types is kind of like the way you look at two people who have similar faces. If you say, well, they have just the same nose, that's probably not enough for you to say the one looks like the other. But if they have the same exact shaped nose, same eyes, same chin, same mouth, same ears, same shape of the head, when all those things come together, you can't look at one without thinking of the other, mm. right? 
And that's how it is with Joseph the Patriarch and St. Joseph. There are so many clear and distinct likenesses between them that, that it's in, undoubtable that one is supposed to be a figure or a clear likeness to the other. So Joseph the Patriarch is the primary one. Yes, that's excellent. That, that's Especially the, the comment about Our Lady and the connection there. I That one, because uh, I kind of thought about the others before, but that one I never considered. So that's a really good point. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we can learn about St. Joseph due to the types that we see in the Old Testament. All this and much, much more coming up next on Catholic Drive Time. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're a non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst, that is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, that's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible? Or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So, you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh. Protestants object to the Catholic practice of penance because they think it implies that Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. But is this true? No, and here are some answers why. First, penance has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. It only deals with repairing the harm that sin causes within us. St. Paul teaches in Philippians 1.6 that God works to bring to completion the good work that he has begun in us. Even though we're forgiven, sin leaves us weak. Penance is the means by which we cooperate with God to complete the work of recovering full spiritual health. Second, penitential acts express our sorrow for sin, which follows the injunction of John the Baptist in Luke 3, 8, bear fruits that befit repentance. Penance doesn't take away from Christ. It unites us more to Him. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. back welcome back to the catholic drive time show this is your host adrian fonseca and it's so good to be on with you today praise be to god uh, we're joined right now with father sebastian walsh with the norbertine fathers i see i got that right this time the norbertines i have to remember them because uh, all my friends have decided to leave houston and join the norbertines which i was like guys y'all should have joined the uh, the updated better version of the norbertines which are the dominicans of course uh, but no, they all decided to uh, to go to California and join the Norbertines. But praise be to God. Father Sebastian Walsh is on talking to us about St. Joseph and what we can learn from the Old Testament about this great saint. Before we went to break, we were talking about the comparison between Joseph in the Old Testament and Joseph in the New Testament. And we made these connections to show clearly there's a type there. But now what can we learn about the St. Joseph of the New Testament by looking at St. Joseph and the, the Patriarch, Father. Absolutely. Let me give you a few examples, one of which is directly in a papal encyclical, okay? 
If you go to uh, the um, encyclical that Pope Leo XIII wrote on St. Joseph, and then also the later updated version uh, by Pope John Paul II called Custos Redemptoris, or Redemptoris Custos, I think, um, you find that they use typology to argue from this fact. Just as Joseph the Patriarch was put second in command in the whole kingdom, the whole land of Egypt, so that no man lifted hand or foot without Joseph's approval or permission, so also in heaven, our heavenly homeland, St. Joseph has been made second in command to Pharaoh, the king, Christ Jesus. Huh? He's made second in command so that St. Joseph has a universal authority over the whole of the church, which is why Pope Leo XIII calls him the protector of holy church or the guardian of holy church. All right. So that's a really fascinating uh, conclusion that you reach first through typology, right? You first say, hey, um, you know, just as Joseph the Patriarch was given universal dominion and authority, so also St. Joseph was by Christ. Okay, so there's one conclusion you can reach about St. Joseph's heavenly glory and his role, his continuing role for the salvation of the elect from heaven today. Here's another interesting conclusion you can reach. St. Joseph is like Joseph the Patriarch insofar as he's responsible for the distribution of nourishment for the people. You recall in the life of Joseph the Patriarch, the whole reason why he got elevated to second in the kingdom was he correctly knew and interpreted a dream that Pharaoh had about a famine that would come. Seven years of plenty first, followed by seven years of famine. Well, Joseph prudently laid up all sorts of excess grain during the seven years of plenty, and during the seven years of famine, the whole world came to Joseph to receive food and grain huh, for themselves, for their livestock, and it really saved the world. Huh? And in a similar way, St. Joseph has been made the guardian and provider of the spiritual bread, which is the Eucharist. It's a really fascinating conclusion you can reach through typology. Another interesting conclusion. Do you know that Joseph, the patriarch, at one point was thrown into prison by Potiphar because he was jealous of him? So he threw Joseph into prison. And while Joseph was in prison, says the king's prisoners were there, he was put in charge of everything. He had complete authority in the king's prison. Well, what does that seem to signify? It signifies that Joseph, St. Joseph, after his death, he was uh, there among the fathers in limbo, so to speak, the the the, uh, oh, wow. um, the purgatory of the just, where it's not really purgatory because there's no sins to be uh, purified. But there, St. Joseph was there with Abraham, it's often called Abraham's bosom, and all the just who were just waiting for Christ's resurrection, right? Because before Christ's resurrection, no one could enter heaven. So we had to wait for um, Jesus to be resurrected. And Joseph would have been there, and he would have been the guy who was in charge of all the souls of the just. So those are a few examples. And now people are really going to have to just go and purchase your book because we're definitely not going to have enough time to cover everything here. However, (laughs) I do want to go over and mention, you said we wanted to talk about St. John the Baptist. And you got me very curious. So 
I want to move over to talk about Our Lady and young Joseph and the Assumption of Joseph. But sure, let's start. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with uh, John the Baptist. Uh, what's Absolutely. the deal here? I thought John the Baptist was the greatest of all men. Yes. So you have to read that whole passage that uh, where our Lord speaks about Saint John the Baptist as being the greatest of those born of woman in context, because what he says is that I tell you, among those born of woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So that's an interesting that that last addendum is telling you that our Lord is probably not referring to St. John the Baptist's level of grace and charity because that's the same in this life and in the life to come. Whatever level of charity you have in this life and you die with it, that's a level of charity you'll have in the life to come. So if the least in the in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, that means St. John the Baptist would be the least in grace and charity, right? Mm-hmm. So our Lord is probably referring to his natural gifts uh, or the grace of prophecy which he had, right? That among all the prophets with this special grace of prophecy or with regard to his natural gifts, no one was greater than him. And yet the least in the kingdom of heaven, that is of the saints that see God face to face, would be greater than anyone, no matter how great their natural gifts are, okay? So I think that's the correct way to interpret that passage, and that's in keeping with the church's uh, clear teaching now that St. John, uh, the that, that Joseph is the greatest of the saints after Our Lady, okay, of all the male saints, okay? And I think that, and that makes a lot of sense as well, because, you know, we think about uh, references to uh, there is none who have sinned, uh, none have not sinned, um, and yet we know that we have at least two ex- ex- exemptions from that, Our Lady and Our Lord. And so yes. we know that those are not always universal statements whenever people make those kind of things. But speaking mm-hmm. about Our Lady, you know, it's often uh, accused that St. Joseph was, okay, he had other children, um, mm-hmm. and then obviously not among Catholics, but among Protestants, they say that, the children were from Joseph and Mary, and then those who tried to defend Our Lady's virginity will say, well, no, they were kids of St. Joseph, um, and so on and so forth. So uh, what is the proper way of looking at the children of uh, the brothers and sisters of Christ? Yes. So as you mentioned, there's a number of places in the Gospels that speak about the brothers and sisters of our Lord. Okay. And uh, the first thing to recognize is that where those, you know, that, that those passages exist and they're really there in Scripture, I think there's at least three places that come to mind. I think there's two in Mark's Gospel and one in Matthew. I know in Mark, I think chapter 6 there's a place, Matthew chapter 13. There might be one other place in Mark. Maybe it's also Mark 13. In any case, um, those passages do exist. And it's important to see that the first Christians never interpreted those passages as referring to children of Mary. And in fact, there's good reason for that. Because if we compare, for example, Matthew 13 with John chapter 19, what we find is the very same people who are referred to as the brothers and sisters of Christ by name in Matthew 13 are referred to as Jesus's cousins, that is, the children of Mary's sister, okay, in John chapter 19. So the Greek word there that's used for brothers and sisters is adelphos. And in the scriptures, that has four different usages. It can mean brothers and sisters that is having the same father and mother. It can mean um, cousins, you know, close relations. It can also mean those who are um, 
parts of the same country, brothers in, in arms, so to speak. And then it can mean those who are brothers in the faith. So Adelphos is used for all of those different uh, kinds of brotherhood in Scripture. So the question is, what kind are we talking about in Mark and Matthew's gospel? And John answers that question very clearly. We're talking about close relations. They were first cousins of our Lord. So that's the first thing just to answer that question. Now, that immediately seems to rule out also the idea that St. Joseph had a previous marriage and had other children from that marriage. The, that was always excluded um, by the, the, the dependable fathers of the church, so to speak. There were a couple people who did think that St. Joseph may have had children from another parent, but St. Jerome, who was the one who really definitively refuted that position, um, had extremely strong and powerful arguments showing that St. Joseph didn't have other children. Those children were cousins of our Lord. So that's the first thing to see. Perfect, perfect. And there's much more that could be said and much more that you have said in the in the book here. But let's go. I'm, just, uh, I'm trying to decide what I want to pick up on. We have very little time. The okay. We'll skip the elderly G- Joseph for a second. And if we have time, we'll come back to it because I really am really interested in the assumption of St. Joseph. I've heard yes. this many times, but I've never heard a scriptural argument for the assumption of St. Joseph. First, could you tell us what do we mean by the assumption of St. Joseph? And then can you go into where you kind of grasp this from Scripture? Yes. What I mean is that just like Our Lady, St. Joseph was risen from the dead gloriously and was brought to heaven bodily so that he now has both body and soul together in heaven just like Our Lady does, okay? Now, Our Lady, there's dispute whether or not she died and was risen or she just ascended. But St. Joseph died, was resurrected gloriously, and now bodily is in heaven the way we all hope to be after the final judgment, okay? Now, where is that in Scripture? Two quick looks from types. Joseph the patriarch, at his death, he was embalmed, and then after his death, it says his bones were brought to the promised land when the people of Israel all left Egypt, okay? So that's a, a typologically signifying the body of Joseph going into heaven, because the promised land is always a type of heaven in the Old Testament, okay? The second example is Elijah the prophet, who's also a type of St. Joseph. Notice about Elijah the prophet. He lived chastely with a woman whose son would later be risen from the dead. So Elijah the prophet has this remarkable, unique parallel to St. Joseph. And what happened to Elijah the prophet at the end of his life? He um, went up in a fiery chariot into the sky. Huh? Right. So again, that seems to typify the bodily assumption of St. Joseph. Okay. Now, where can we look in the New Testament for this? There's the amazing passage of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. Look at what happens there. It's in Jerusalem after the feast of the Passover, Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus for three days sorrowing. And when they find him, um, he's teaching in his father's house. And they ask, he asks, why were you seeking me? So, oh, it looks like we're coming to the end, huh? That's it. That's it. We're out of time. I'm so sorry, Father. We're just getting the good part. But that means that people are going to have to go to Tan Books and purchase St. Joseph, the man closest to Christ by Father Sebastian Walsh. Go check it out. Father, can you leave us with your blessing?
Amen. Amen. And thank you very much, Father, for joining us. And that's going to do it for today. And don't worry, uh, starting on Monday, we will be back in studio live. So if you want to join us live in studio, we'll be back on Monday because this week we had pre-recorded shows due to the fact that we were having our GRN family retreat, which happened on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And that's why there is no game show today. So if you are wanting to call in for the game show, make sure you write that number down, 877 757 9424 and write that number down because on Monday we're going to be having our regularly scheduled programming where you can call in and win prizes. But don't worry, the live show, everything's going back to normal coming back this Monday. And so I hope you have a blessed weekend and I hope you have a blessed time and make sure you join us. Hop on our email list, go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. If you do so, I would love to know how you are celebrating the month of the Sacred Heart and what your favorite interview was while we were away. So make sure you're on our email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get on that email list. And we make sure to send you free content that you can't get anywhere else. Plus, starting when we get back from our retreat, we are beginning our St. Robert Bellarmine Catechism Study Series which is exclusive for those CDT insiders. So make sure you're on that email list if you want to be a part of that that study session. So make sure you're there. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. God bless you. God love you. That's going to do it for today. And I look forward to seeing you back on Monday live in studio. But if not, then we'll see you in the... Well, I'll see you on the... uh, uh, Well, I won't see you, but you'll see us on the pre-recorded shows. But God bless you. God love you. And remember, this is the month of the Sacred Heart. So let's make some acts of reparation for the Sacred Heart, especially because this Friday, this Saturday, first Friday, first Saturday. So let's go out and make reparation to soothe the most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Jesus and Mary. God bless you. God love you. And have a blessed day. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and I love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. 
from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Organ and song sounding in glad adoration. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who through the folly of the cross wondrously taught St. Justin the martyr the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ, grant us through his intercession that having rejected deception and error, we may become steadfast in the faith. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Sirach. Now will I recall God's work. What I have seen, I will describe. At God's word, were his work brought into being. They do his will as he has ordained for them, as the rising sun is clear to all. So the glory of the Lord fills all his works, yet even God's holy ones must fail in recounting the wonders of the Lord. Though God has given this his host, the strength to stand firm before his glory. He plumbs the depths and penetrates the heart, their innermost being be understand. He understands. The Most High possesses all knowledge and sees from all, all the things that are to come. He makes known the past and the future and reveals the deepest secrets no understanding does he lack. No single thing escapes him. Perennial is his almighty wisdom. He is from all eternity one of the same. Without nothing added, nothing taken away. No need of a counselor for him. How beautiful are all his works. Even to the spark 
and fleeting vision. The universe, leave, universe lives and abides forever. To meet each need, each creature is preserved. All of them differ, differ one from another, yet none of them has he made in vain. For each, in turn, as it comes, is good. Can one ever see enough of their splendor? The word of the Lord. Be to God. Be the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Give thanks to the Lord on the harp. With the ten-string lyre, chant his praise. Sing to him a new song. Pluck the strings skillfully with shouts of gladness. By the, By the word, word of the Lord, the, Lord, the, the heavens, heavens were, were made. made. For upright is his word and the Lord, and all his work are trustworthy. He loves justice and right. Of his, the kindness of the Lord, the earth is full. By, By the, the word, word of the Lord, Lord the, the heavens, heavens were made. made. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the water of the sea as in a flask. In cellars he confines the deep. By the, by the word, word of the, the Lord, Lord the heavens, heavens were, were made. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all who dwell in the world revere him. For he spoke and it was made. He commanded it and it stood forth. By, By the, the word, word of the, of the Lord, Lord, the heavens, the heavens were, were made. made. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up. Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord.
morning's gospel, we see a beautiful encounter between the blind man Bartimaeus and Jesus. The first place we can see in Bartimaeus that he is a man who is willing to humble himself. Bartimaeus knows his needs. He knows that he's blind. He is there on the side of the road begging. And he recognizes that Jesus is an opportunity for him to be healed. And so he's willing, in a sense, to humble himself to the point of creating a little bit of a spectacle where he's crying out, Jesus, come to help me, have pity on me. Jesus calls him over. Bartimaeus is asked what he wants. He says, I want to see. And Jesus restores his sight. And we're told that Bartimaeus goes off and follows Jesus on the way. What a beautiful progression from Bartimaeus, humbling himself, recognizing his need, crying out to Jesus for help, and being restored, and then giving his life to the Lord to follow. In many ways, today's gospel is meant to be lived out at every Mass. When we have the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass, where we are the ones crying out, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, we are the ones at that point who are called to humble ourselves and recognize two things. Number one, that we are sinners who need Jesus' help. We're crying out to the Lord to help us. And secondly, we are recognizing that what is going to be happening in this Mass is so special that we are not truly worthy to be in the Lord's presence, but we're here because he called us. We're here because he gives us the privilege and the grace to be able to be here in his presence. But the secret of recognizing our own neediness to recognize, Lord, without you I can do nothing. I cannot be good this day. I cannot do your will this day. I need your help. And so we are the ones who place ourselves to cry out, Kyrie eleison. And therefore, that penitential rite in the Mass is never meant to be something that we go through in a perfunctory fashion, where we say, oh, here we go with our Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. But rather, we say it with intentionality, to say we recognize we need God's mercy in our life. We need Jesus' help. And we recognize that we are coming to the sacred place where we can receive his help. If we ask, what is it that we want to receive from the Lord? Bartimaeus wanted to receive his sight back. And for us, we can say a couple of things. We too want to be able to see through the light of Jesus Christ. In the first place, we want to see so that we will not be spiritually blind. In other words, Lord, what are the areas of sin or imperfection even in our life or areas that we need to be detached from so that we can grow in holiness? Allow us to see ourselves clearly as you do so that we know the path to follow to become holy. Secondly, to be able to say, Lord, I recognize that in hearing your word, in participating at your table, that I will learn here what your will is for me today. What are you calling me to do today? How should I act today that is your invitation for me to follow your will at this time? And finally, like Bartimaeus, we too are called to experience that Jesus does restore us. He does give us sight. He allows us to know the path to holiness. He leads us to do God's will. And therefore, we too receive our sight here and are called to follow Jesus on the way. We receive the Lord in the Eucharist, we leave the church with Jesus, and we go to follow him with all of our heart and soul, as Bartimaeus had done. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today,
Let us give thanks, thank God for the grace that we are able to receive his call, to humble ourselves, to ask for his mercy. Let us ask that the Lord would grant us spiritual sight to know our weaknesses, to know what we need to do to be holy, and to know what we need to do this day to be able to follow his will, to know that we leave here in his presence with Jesus with us and the calling to follow him wholeheartedly. Amen. We have all gathered here, dear brothers and sisters, to celebrate the mysteries of our redemption. Let us therefore ask, Almighty God, that the whole world may be watered from these springs of all blessing and life. For all who have vowed themselves to God, that with his help they may faithfully resolve to keep their promises, let us pray to the Lord. For peace among nations that delivered from all turmoil, the peoples may serve God in freedom of heart. Let us pray to the Lord. For the elderly who suffer from isolation or sickness, that they may be strengthened by our love of them as brothers and sisters. Let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves gathered here, for those joining us online and through radio, that as God does not cease to sustain us with the things of this life, we may know how to use them in such a way that we may hold even now to the things that endure forever. Let us pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. May your mercy, we beseech you, O Lord, be with your people who cry to you, so that what they seek at your prompting they may obtain by your ready generosity. Through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. For our good and the good of all his holy church. Grant us, we pray, O Lord, that we may celebrate worthily these mysteries which St. Justin strenuously defended through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. 
always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your mind. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the host of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, and Michael our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face, have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life 
and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. And graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally. Come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
hallelujah, sing to Jesus, is the scepter, is the throne. Hallelujah is the triumph, is the victory alone. Hark the songs of peace, O Zion, thunder like a mighty flood. Jesus out of every nation hath redeemed us by his blood. Alleluia, not as orphans are we left in sorrow now. Alleluia, he is near us. Faith believes, nor questions how. Though the cloud from sight received him, when the forty days were o'er, shall our hearts forget his Promise, I am with you evermore. Let us pray. <clears throat> Refreshed by heavenly food, we humbly implore you, O Lord that attentive to the teaching of St. Justin the Martyr, we may abide at all times in thanksgiving for the gifts we have received through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Immaculate Mary, thy praises we sing, who reignest in splendor with Jesus our King. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, Ave, Ave, Maria, in heaven the blessed thy glory proclaim. On earth we thy children invoke thy fair name. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, Ave, Ave, Maria. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan 
and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Father Cedric Bazania from Holy Name Retreat Center.